Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to give you this testimony for the churches. I am the root and offspring of David and the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And the one who hears says, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. Amen.
Are you thirsty this morning? Are you empty? As the song says, and as we read in the book of Revelation, come and drink of the living waters. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes take the free gift of the water of life. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Bride, the Church. It is the Church empowered by the Holy Spirit, which is the great evangelizing force of this age. It is you and I, the church of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, who has a life-giving message to our world. A message which says, come to Christ and your spiritual thirst will be satisfied. Come to him and drink of that life-giving stream. Together they say, come. And John goes on to say, and those who have received also say, come. Those who have come and drunk, those who can testify to the reality of finding satisfaction in him, also say this morning, come. You may not be into English grammar, but in the Greek, this is in the present imperative. And essentially what that means is that the invitation to come will remain to the very end of the age. Whenever history finally and irrevocably passes into eternity. But up until that point, we can, as a church, empowered by the Spirit, say to those who are thirsty, come, come and drink. That is a message that's there throughout the Scriptures. We find it echoed again, don't we, in the message of Jesus. In John chapter 7, the Jews are there in Jerusalem. It's the last, the great day of the Feast of Tabernacles. And Jesus stands up and he pronounces in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come, let him come to me and to drink. I don't know whether you've seen these little um, water-filling stations popping up around the country. This one here is at the start of the West Highland Way in Mulgai. And to be honest, even yesterday, in the midst of the heat, I didn't see anyone filling their water bottle. But it's a great idea. You can bring your empty bottle, fill it up with fresh water, and it'll keep you going. And those of you who have got reasonably good eyesight, probably better than mine, 
we'll notice that it says on the middle of the water filling station, your water, your life. And we know that throughout Europe over this past week, many people have died through dehydration, through a lack of water. But this logo of Scottish water could equally apply spiritually even to our text this morning. Your water, your life. Jesus says, come to me and drink of me. Because as you drink of me, you will find life that is fulfilling. Life that is eternal. Life that is abundant. And that thirst in your soul will be quenched. But you can imagine, even in Mulgai, someone coming up and scribbling on the wall, Nah, I'm nay thirsty. I don't need to drink of this. And of course, for many of us, that's how we went. Year after year, month after month, Perhaps our own testimony would say exactly that. We didn't recognize our thirst. We didn't recognize our spiritual thirst, even though it was there. And yet, perhaps there are some here this morning, and you've never drunk of the wells of salvation. You've never recognized that spiritual thirst deep down in your soul and cried out, to Jesus for his food, for his drink that would satisfy forever. It's not one of my favorite cartoon characters, but Calvin and Hobbes are very popular in the States. And uh, Calvin, of course, is actually named after John Calvin, but that's another story. And uh, in one of their little um, uh, cartoons, uh, Calvin is saying to Hobbes, Getting is better than having. And he goes on to expound. Whenever you get something, it's new and exciting. But whenever you have something, you take it for granted and it's boring. And then Hobbes comes with his incisive comment. But everything you get turns into something you have. So Calvin says, that's why you always need to get new things. You see, that's how many of us go through life. We think that somehow we can find fulfillment, satisfy this longing in our hearts for something more than ourselves. In this consumerist, materialistic society, we think that by getting this or getting that or having this or having that, that somehow it will satisfy. But once we get it and we have it, we realize that it doesn't satisfy. And so we have to keep on getting. I suspect if we're honest with ourselves, many of us try and find fulfillment in our lives by just getting things that we think will make us happy and fulfilled.
And of course, to some extent, that's the story of the Bible. If we go right back to Genesis 1 and 2 and 3, God was there and he put Adam and Eve in the garden and they enjoyed perfect relationship with God, their creator. They enjoyed friendship with one another. They were able to enjoy the beauty of the created order that God had made. And they enjoyed uninterrupted fellowship with God. The Bible says that God walked with them in the cool of the day. But then at some point, they ended up rebelling against God and thinking, well, perhaps there's something more. Perhaps we know better. Perhaps we know different. And so they end up by disobeying God. To use our biblical language, they ended up sinning. And as a result, all of those beautiful relationships fell apart. And there no longer was that relationship with God their maker that ultimately gave them satisfaction and fulfillment in their lives. And so God comes to them and they're hiding. They sewed up fig leaves to hide what they now considered to be their shame. And they also hid from God in the midst of the garden. Of course, God's not stupid. I mean, he knew exactly where they were. He could see their legs. God said to them, Adam, where are you? And in one sense, the whole of the rest of the Bible, the whole of the rest of Scripture, is a story about God saying, come, I'm not turning my back on you. I'm not running away from you. You are my created order, and I love you. In fact, God said that he would send his son to make it possible. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believed in him would not perish, but have everlasting life, have a life that satisfies have a life that would bring fulfillment. And so in a sense, the whole storyline of the Bible is about God doing what he could to encourage his wayward children to come to him, to come back. Someone has said that God never ever will give up on us. And he will passionately and relentlessly pursue us. Again, if you're here this morning and you've never drunk of the water of life and you feel that somehow by getting whatever that means in your context that you will find life abundant, you're living a lie. But I want you to know this morning that God isn't going to give up on you. He hasn't to this point given up on you. And by his grace and in his mercy, he will relentlessly pursue you because he longs that you come and find life in him. Some of you will know the poems of Francis Thompson who ended up living uh, as a down-and-out homeless person 
addicted to alcohol for many years in London, despite being brought up in a very respectable home. And of course, he wrote perhaps his most famous poem called The Hound of Heaven. Because he recognizes that throughout his whole life, he's been running from God. And he describes God as the hound of heaven who relentlessly pursues him. But he keeps trying to run away. It's got about 180 lines in it. That would take up the rest of my sermon this morning. But the opening three or four lines go like this. I fled him. That is, Francis Thompson fleeing God. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my mind. And in the mist of tears, I hid from him. And then in the closing few lines, God is speaking. It almost sounds a little bit like Burns, uh, the way in which it's worded, but it's clearly not. And God says, Ah, fondest, blindest, weakest, I am he whom thou seekest. Thou dravest love from me, who dravest me. God is speaking to Francis Thompson. He is speaking to all of us this morning who are running from him, the weakest and the blindest, who cannot see that God loves them and wants to shower them with his love. But they don't find the love that they are seeking because they have rejected it from God himself. God is saying in that final line, you drove love away from yourself because you have driven my love away from you. The message is clear in the hound of heaven. Don't run from God. He loves you. He wants to shower his grace on you. He wants to shelter you and protect you. But if you keep running, then you'll never, ever receive his blessings, the blessings that he has in store for you. God would say to us this morning, if you haven't yet drunk of the lauder of life, come, come and drink of the water of life. None else, none other, as the old hymn says, but Christ can satisfy. He alone can meet that deep longing in our hearts. But this message about coming to God is not just for those who haven't drunk of him. It's also for those of us who are Christians. And I suspect that's the majority of us here this morning. So, for example, in somewhere like Psalm 23, you prepare, verse 5, a table before me, In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. 
and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. You see, that word follow, in the Hebrew, it literally means pursue. And so this translation is absolutely right. Surely your unfailing love will pursue me all the days of my life. God doesn't just pursue those who haven't yet drunk of him. But God is continually pursuing his children, saying, I want you to experience more of my love. I want you to know and experience more of my goodness. The message summarizes it perfectly. So in verse 6, it translates it like this in Psalm 23. And it just made Psalm 23 come alive for me, even though it's a passage that I know so, so very well. I just love it. Your beauty and love chase after me day every day of my life. Aren't those lovely words? We're so familiar with verse 6. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. But here in the message, your beauty and your love chase after me every day of my life. Maybe there are those here this morning and you need to know that. Which is why he wants us to come to him. To come to him and experience something more of his beauty. To send something more of his deep and committed love to each one of us. Although let's not misunderstand. I was visiting a dear friend earlier in the week who's, who's dying. And we were talking together about what does it mean when Jesus says, I will give you life abundant. When you know that you will say farewell to your children. And you know that you will say farewell to your grandchildren. What does it mean when Jesus promises us that if you come to me, you will have abundant life. That whenever you drink of me, you will not thirst again. And that's why, again, this translation resonated with me. When we come to God at any point in our lives, it isn't that he promises that everything will be fine. That no hardships will cross our paths that no misfortunes will come into our lives. But he says, you will know that in the midst of all of that, your Father is there with you. And he will walk the journey with you. And he loves you to bits. And he loves you more than any other person on this planet. And ultimately, he will bring you to himself in heaven. And that does bring me to Isaiah 55 and the opening verses. Because again, the people that Isaiah is writing to here 
are people who claim to be followers of God. They are people who are in exile because they've disobeyed God. But he says their time of hardship is coming to an end. You have learned your lesson and I'm drawing you back. But clearly the 70 years have taken their toll. And their relationship with God is not what it once was. Their trust in God is not what it once was. They're not really enjoying life in God as perhaps they once did. And so the writer comes and he says to them, Ho, everyone who thirsts. This is not to the unbeliever. This is to the follower of the Lord. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? We so quickly fall into our old ways. We so quickly end up adopting the culture of the world around us. Even though we are Christians, we think that ultimately we will find satisfaction and abundance of life through doing things their way. Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear and come to me. Listen so that you might live. And again, the emphasis. Come to the waters. Come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Come to me so that you might live. And what's the only condition? Oh, everyone who is thirsty. It doesn't matter whether we've been a Christian a few weeks or a few months. And it doesn't matter whether you've been a Christian for 30 years. I wonder when's the last time we thirsted after God. I wonder when is the last time we longed that the reality of God's presence was more evident in my own life and my own experience. Most of you remember my little green car. It's sad. But you know, it went to the great scrappy in the clouds at the start of this year. I had it since the day I came to this church. 201,000 miles of happy motoring with a good driver. And I think it was serviced three times in the course of 201,000 miles. But it did die. And there were times it didn't run just as well as it ought to. Probably those three times when I decided to take it to be serviced. There was one time when it was going, but it was hardly going. It was going on three cylinders. So it was going okay. There was no problem getting me home and getting me back again. But trying to get up a hill, I was going up a hill at 10 miles an hour. 
fact, there was one occasion when I was trying to get out of somewhere and I had to turn around and reverse it out because it wouldn't even go out at first. There were times I had to get people to push it to try and get me started. But the big problem was I was running on three cylinders. I wonder, spiritually speaking, are there times when we are running on three cylinders but thirsty for more of the reality of God's grace? Andrew was speaking a few weeks ago on Sunday night on Revelation 2. This church who had such a brilliant record of doing so much and uh, a church that theologically was absolutely fine, but they had lost their first love. Possibly they had been caught up in the straitjacket of orthodoxy. They were still doing all the right things, but they were dead right. In many ways, theologically, they were sound, but at times they were sound asleep. And sadly, they had lost the vibrancy, the passion for Christ that they once had. There is a cylinder which is really important. That is our commitment to Scripture. We need to read Scripture and if we're going to be able to live our lives adequately for God. We need to remember that He is our Father and that we can rejoice in the Father's love. We need to be thankful for the Son's forgiveness and all that He has done for us in Christ. But one of the problems is that sometimes we forget that we need the daily empowering of the Spirit of God. So we end up coming and worshiping. We end up doing our daily devotions, but they're a drudge. We end up continually involved in all the activities and life and ministry of the church. But it's like we're running on three cylinders because we fail to acknowledge the importance of the day-by-day empowering of the Spirit. And so we end up tired and weary and lethargic spiritually. We have lost our vibrancy. Jesus would say to us this morning, like he said to those disciples of old living in Babylon, coming back, after their 70 years. Come and drink. Come and realize that I long to bless you more than you can ever imagine. I want you to understand that my beauty and my love long to pursue you. And so we need to be reminded again of that Injunction, that command in Ephesians 5 to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If we were translating it literally, it would be be being filled with the Holy Spirit. It's not a one-off thing. It's not something that happens a couple of times a year. It's an ongoing realization 
that we need day after day after day to come and be renewed and be refreshed. Spurgeon, the old 19th century Baptist preacher, he said on one occasion in one of his sermons that we face three opponents in our Christian lives. And this is maybe slightly disputable, but you'll get the point. He says we are confronted with a devil, but he was defeated at the cross. We are confronted by the world, but he says, remember, it's a temporary and passing phase. But he says, every morning you get up, you're confronted with yourself. Every day I am challenged by me. There's only one me, he said, and I'm stuck with him. And that's why we need day after day after day to come in our weakness, to come in our frailty and be filled afresh with the Spirit of God. How thirsty are you this morning? I wonder, have you just got through to the end of the school term, the end of the church term, if you like? And clearly, many of us will be physically tired. But I wonder, spiritually, are we thirsty? I wonder, do we not need a great holiday away but we also need to be renewed in our spirits. Are you thirsty? Are you hungry? Are you yearning for a greater reality of God's empowering presence? Hey there, all who are thirsty, come to the water. Are you penniless? Come anyway, buy and eat. Come buy your drinks, buy wine and milk. Without money, everything's free. Listen to me, listen well. Eat only the best. Fill yourself with only the finest. Pay attention. Come close now. Listen carefully to my life-giving words. Oh, joy, I've gone over time again. The Sunday school will be throwing things at me. But I feel I want to do what we had planned to do. And forgive me if that takes us a few minutes longer. But I want us to listen to this song. It's not a great recording. But as we listen to the words... Will you allow God by his spirit to speak into your heart, renew you and refresh you? And then as soon as we've watched the video, maybe even before the video's finished, the band will come and join us and we're going to sing the song through again. And, uh, and then we'll be virtually at a close. So let's take a moment to listen to this song and let's make it a prayer that's in our hearts. To the river I am going Bringing sins I cannot bear Come and cleanse me Come forgive 
to lead us in that final song. I wonder, can we stand?